A couple years ago, the world celebrated an incredible holiday. It will only ever happen once in history. Does the date, October 15th, 2015, mean anything to anybody in here? October 15th, 2015. Guys, it's the day that Marty McFly travels back to the future in order to save his children yet to be born in Back to the Future's 1985, all right? Of course, the centerpiece of that film franchise is the flux capacitor-empowered DeLorean time machine. Man, wouldn't it be awesome if we could all go hop in that time machine this morning? Well, who says we can't pretend? We're going to pretend for a few moments this morning. So imagine with me going outside, walking out into the parking lot, and hopping into a giant DeLorean all together at once. We type in 3 BC into that DeLorean computer. Before you know it, it comes to rest on the sun-cracked Palestinian soil of ancient Bethlehem. And when your foot hits that soil, you look around and you notice mud and brick houses all around you and miles and miles of rolling hills. Then you look over your shoulder and you notice a young shepherd seated at the top of a hill surrounded by a few dozen sheep. And as you walk nearer to him, you notice that he's been crying, and you ask him, what's wrong? Why are you crying? And he tells you that he's been reading Psalm 89, the psalm that just Colleen just read for us. And he's read it, and he's been discouraged because of it. Well, why? Well, it's because Ethan, he's the man who wrote this psalm, Ethan has written some really difficult realities. He looks around, Ethan looks around and sees verse 38 and 39, if you want to follow with me. He says, Now, God, you've cast off and rejected. You're full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. And if we were to keep reading in the next few verses, you'd see that this theme continues through verse 45. So he's looking around at the messed up world around him. And then he says in verse 46, he asks, How long, O Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? You promised. In other words, why aren't you doing what you said you would do? God, where are you at? That's the idea here. So I imagine, if you're anything like me, that you might be tempted to ask that same kind of question in your own life. Lord, why aren't, you, why aren't you rescuing more souls through our efforts here at Trinity? Why aren't you delivering me from this trial, whether it be a sickness or strife in a relationship or a personality issue that you have that causes problems or a particular sin struggle? Why does it seem like sometimes, God, I am more interested in your fame than you are? Well, Ethan, the author of Psalm 89, is faced with some similar questions. And as he navigates the choppy waters of his grief, there are two anchors in the text that hold him fast. God's faithfulness and God's power. God's faithfulness and power. And so this morning, I hope that each of us will once again see and believe with fresh eyes and fresh faith that we can trust God even when life seems bleak 
It's our big idea. It kind of encapsulates where we're going this morning. We can trust God even when our lives seem really bleak and dark. And first this morning, we can trust God because he's faithful to keep his promises. Trust God because he's faithful. Look with me, if you will, at verse 1. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. And you have said, I made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Selah. So here at the beginning of this psalm, we find Ethan. Again, that's the guy that wrote this psalm. We find Ethan rejoicing because of this promise that God had made to David a long time ago, way back in 2 Samuel 7. But as I mentioned a few moments ago, this rejoicing is about to be clouded over by a really miserable gloom. For Ethan, his circumstances looked, appeared absolutely hopeless. It sure didn't look like God was building David's throne for all generations to him, like it says in verse 4 there, and like it says way back in 2 Samuel 7. There was no king on the throne. God's word had apparently gone unfulfilled. And it caused them to question God. God, why? How long? Do something to fix this mess, please. I wonder what situations you're involved with in your life right now. Maybe you're aware of a situation where it looks like God has abandoned his people. Have you spent days, months, maybe even years investing into a person, begging them to come to Jesus, only to see them reject him in the end? Do you have a loved one that's really sick? Are you faced with a really messy relationship with your boss and you doubt if there's ever going to be a resolution? God wants you to know that despite the instability and the frailty of your relationships, he is faithful to keep his promises. He's not going to let you go this morning. God will not let you go despite what you see. But if we're really honest, if you're really honest with yourself, life can just be straight up hard sometimes. Lots of times it's confusing with no clear-cut answers to our questions. But this morning, hold to the one thing that isn't confusing. God hasn't left and he hasn't lost control. Despite what it may feel like or look like, God hasn't left and he's still in control. You think it's wrong to question God like Ethan does in Psalm 89? I think it's wrong to question him. Which of us can't sympathize with him at least a little bit here? We look around too and we ask God, why? Look at our world. It is is messed up. How long, God? I think we actually can question God sometimes. Not because we lack faith in his goodness, but because we actually have faith in his goodness. Our questioning can be a fleeing to God. This is casting our cares on him because he cares for us. A number of years ago, we completed a remodel of our bathroom. And in the midst of demoing our bathroom, and by the way, demoing is what I'm best at. Putting stuff back together, I'm the worst at. But demoing, give me a sledgehammer and I'm your man. All right? 
During the demoing of our bathroom, we had to use a lot of really loud tools. A skill saw, sawzall, hammer, drills, we go on and on. And they were all really loud and really disconcerting for some of my younger kids. And on many occasions, as these tools were being turned on and off, I remember my young daughter saying, hold you, hold you. That's all she knew how to say. But she was nervous. She wants to be held. In the midst of all the thick dust and the loud noises and the chaotic mess, all she wants in that moment is to feel safe in her daddy's arms. And I'm thrilled when she comes to me, when she's scared. There's nothing in me that's like, hey, how dare you come to me and question me? My heart, my heart isn't like that at all. In fact, it would be completely disheartening for her to run away from me in the midst of those kinds of fears. I want her to run to me in the midst of those kinds of fears, to make sure that everything is under control. Is it okay, Daddy? Is actually an indication that she trusts me. So in texts like this, God is saying, trust me. Just because you can't understand all that's going on around you right now doesn't mean that your circumstances aren't for your good. Trust me. Come to me. Talk to me when life seems bleak. So when you're waiting for whatever problem it is that's, that's running through your mind right now, when you're waiting for that problem to resolve or your brokenness to be made whole, trust God. Trust Him even as you wait. So I wonder today if, if your situation, like Ethan, seems a little bit hopeless. You may not know the end of your story now, but the author of life knows the end of your story. And it's a great ending. Good wins. Death and sin are crushed. All the sad things become untrue. Until then, though, until then, trust God while you wait. And this morning, I don't want us to think that the scriptures can't feel what we are going through, how difficult it is. This is why we have a book like the Psalms, so that we can understand that we aren't the only ones who experience such a wide breadth of emotions. The psalmists do too. You can, you can read it for yourself. One minute they're dancing with the planets, loudly and courageously praising God. And the next, they are wallowing in the pit of despair, wrestling with whether or not God even exists. So understand this morning that your fear, your frustration, your hopelessness, they're not always bad things. As long as they're driving you somewhere, to someone else, driving us to a confident assurance in the unrelenting faithfulness of God. Despite what you see, God is faithful to keep his promises to you. In fact, there is no way he won't be faithful to keep his promises to you. Keep leaning, keep trusting, and whatever promise it is that you're concerned that he isn't coming through on, that he's not following through, hold on. He is and he will. He's faithful. And you can trust him because he's faithful to keep his promises. But God isn't only faithful to keep his word. He's also powerful enough to keep his word. Trust God because he's powerful to keep his promises. This is the other anchor that holds Ethan fast. Sometimes I look at my kids and I wonder if 
my thoughts about them are the same ones that God has about me. When one of my girls was younger, she'd be really frightened at night. She didn't want the door closed. She wanted a light on in her room. She wanted a light on in the hallway. She wanted me to stay upstairs with her, preferably in her room and preferably in her bed. She was very, very scared. And when she acted this way, I just wanted to shake her and say, Look, baby, I got this. Relax. This is my house. Ain't nobody going to get you. I got your back. So all throughout verses 5 to 18, the psalmist here is reminding himself of this fact concerning his relationship with God. And he reminds himself of a very few critical truths here. I won't read all the verses, but to sum them up, he says, no angel compares to this God. He rules the seas. He crushes his foes. He owns the heavens. He owns earth. He owns the galaxies. He destroyed sin and death and is right now calmly seated on his throne. He's exalted above the Most High. He is ruler of all, and he's worthy of our praise and our trust this morning because he is faithful and he's powerful. We can trust him while we're waiting for him to make all things new. So when life seems to be crashing down all around Ethan, he's talking to God and he's talking to himself, reminding himself that, verse 11, the heavens are yours, the earth also is yours, the world and all that is in it, you have founded them. So this passage is speaking for God and saying, look guys, I got this. It's my world. Don't forget that though the wrong seems often so strong, I'm the ruler yet. This is my world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died will be satisfied and earth and heaven be made one. This morning your body it might be aching. Your soul might be bleeding. The world around you is certainly dying, but God is not dead. He is alive and well and powerful enough to keep everything that he has promised to do for you. But this text is more than comfort for physical and spiritual problems. Little did Ethan know that as he was writing this psalm, in just a few years, God was going to shatter everyone's expectations about coming through on these promises. He'd been making these promises for hundreds of years. And so this promise had been made, and now the promise would be kept. Promises made, promises kept. So despite what Ethan saw around him, God was with him and with his people while they waited. They didn't know how or when God was going to come through, but he did at just the right time, with the emergence of a baby king. A baby king who was destined to free us from sin and death. And so despite what you see or feel, just like God was with them in the waiting, he's with us. So if, if you could indulge me just one more time, and we'll hop back into the DeLorean and punch in 68 AD, 70-some years later now landing in the same spot as before. If you're new to Christianity, I'm making all of this up, okay? There's no time machines in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. It's not real. It's just a mechanism for storytelling, okay? Uh, so we're, we're landing in the, in the same spot as we did before. 
We look around, we see a similar landscape. But as we look over our shoulder, we see an elderly man now. He's seated on the hill. He's nearly 80 years old. It's the same guy. He's just way older now. Before you can finish shaking hands and reacquainting, he's telling you a story about a host of angels in the sky, the birth of a baby king, and the fulfillment of a whole bunch of, promise, of God's promises. And he's got a fresh copy of the book of Hebrews in his hands. And he eagerly reads aloud to you the first few verses in this book. I'll read it for you. The first verse. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That's like the Old Testament. Verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. And then the shepherd stops. And he looks up at you as if to emphasize the next, one of the next verses. And it's verse 5. And verse 5 just so happens to be a synopsis of Psalm 89, the psalm that we're in today, verses 27 and 28. It says this, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You're my son, today I have begotten you? Hint, he didn't say it to any of the angels. He said it to Jesus. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So essentially, the writer of Hebrews is identifying Jesus as the ultimate fulfillment of these promises to David. Psalm 89, written before Jesus, is ultimately about Jesus. So what has changed for our little make-believe shepherd here? Remember how depressed he was 70 years ago? Well, now, instead of looking for physical fulfillment, the shepherd understands the spiritual nature of this fulfillment, of this psalm and of other psalms as well. By the end of the conversation, you realize that his understanding of Psalm 89 has been radically altered. What used to be a lament has now become a longing fulfilled. Christ has come, and he has proved God's faithfulness and God's power. God was with them in the waiting, and he's with us in ours. Five concluding observations this morning. First, I want to encourage us to read the scriptures with the end in view. Maybe I'm mostly preaching to the choir here, I don't know. But we, we need to remember to read this whole book in view of the end. So even before Jesus shows up in the Bible, the stories are all about him pointing, to him, pointing to him, whispering about him. We need to read our Bibles with the end in view. If you don't know what that looks like or what that means, track me down afterwards. I'd love to get some resources into your hands. It's a beautiful, amazing thing when we begin to see Jesus as the link that makes this book all come together and make sense. Read with the end in view. Second, live with the end in view. This psalm, if we were to read it in its entirety, it kind of ends on an unresolved chord. Circumstances for Ethan, they didn't change. Jesus hadn't come yet. Life for him was still hard. It's kind of like ending a song without resolving the final chord. It just doesn't quite sit right with you. But the unsettled tension of the chord of Psalm 89 is gloriously resolved when Jesus comes. So whatever darkness you're experiencing, it won't always be this way. When we realize that God will resolve all tension in the end, we can rest even while we wait. Some promises have been made. 
And all the promises will be kept. Third, experience hardship with the truth in view. Even the psalm's order is instructive, if you look at it. Ethan starts. He starts by verifying what is true, and then he moves to what he can see. We always have to progress in that order as well. Never switch it. Always allow what you know to be true from this book to be the grid through which you understand the broken world around you. Always allow this to interpret the brokenness and the hardship and the trials and the evil that you see. Experience hardship with the truth in view. Fourth, remember that our gospel work is not in vain. Your gospel work is not in vain. The Lord of this covenant, Psalm 89 is a covenant. It's it's a promise. He will not be thwarted in his intention to bring sinners out of darkness and into his gracious domain. This truth is critical as we enter into local mission and global mission here at Trinity. We're entering into the work of gospel renewal, seeing the gospel come to bear on our lives and on the lives of people we interact with every day. Ethan, the guy who wrote the psalm, again, his primary frustration in this psalm is rooted back in what he thought to be an unfulfillment of 2 Samuel 7. There in 2 Samuel 7, David makes God a promise. He says, God, I'm going to vow to build you a house, a physical temple. Maybe you remember that God denied David that privilege for various reasons, but instead, and here's an ironic twist on the story, David tries to promise to build God a house, but God says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going to build you a house. God promised to build David a house, a forever house, not not a house made of cedar, but a house made of people, a house made of living stones. We are the living stones, a family who will last forever. So us, right here in this room today, we are the house that God was building for David. God was then and is actively creating a house with living stones. You and I this morning, we are the fulfillment of a text thousands of years old. That is a cool reality to consider, that that we are a fulfillment of God's promise. We ourselves. Jesus did what David couldn't do. He set up a forever throne and a forever kingdom. So how much more than Ethan can we sing of the mercies of the Lord forever? Like the psalm ends. God is relentlessly pursuing his unstoppable mission. And he's going to do that through us. And he will not fail. He's made a promise. And he will not fail. Fifth, believe God because he's come through before. Psalm 89 whispers and prophesies of Jesus long before he came. But don't you think, put yourself in the shoes of those Old Testament saints. Even 10 or 20 or 100 or 500 years before Jesus actually came. Don't you think that those men and women were waiting for God to finally send the Messiah? And don't you think that the longer they waited, the more doubtful they became? Is God really going to come through on what he promised? Someone to finally crush the head of the serpent? It's probably not too unlike you and me in our darkest moments. We wonder if God is going to come through. But God did come through, and he will come through, even if it doesn't look like it. So 
So whatever darkness you're experiencing, it won't always be this way. When we realize that God resolves it all in the end, we can teach our souls to rest. We have to actually speak truth to our souls or they'll speak to us in unhelpful ways. Allow what you know to be true to teach your soul to rest as you wait. So when Jesus entered this world in the humble, helpless state of a child, God was making a statement in the quietness and the squalor and the dirtiness of that stable. God was shouting, I am faithful. My word is my bond. Remember those promises I made so long ago? They're fulfilled. I'm faithful. I'm powerful. So trust me. 